this morning is a super, super special Sunday um, that I'm really excited to share some vision with you uh, about our church. Some of you um, are going to be like, oh gosh, we've heard this one before. And some of you are going to be like, awesome, I've never heard this one before. And so uh, today we're kicking off this series that we call Next Midway. And the reason why it's called Next Midway is we are uh, kind of at the midway point of a three-year vision initiative here at South Creek. And I'm going to share a little bit about uh, what, how, how we kind of started this thing, where we're at in some of this, and, and kind of the big whys. My hope this morning was to share whys. I think there's something important about answering the question of why, right? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? My my son, uh, who's three years old, has begun to ask a lot of those sort of why questions, and they can get very annoying, but I've realized um, sometimes when we understand the why, it's a lot easier to get on board with just doing it, right? We can ask questions to death, and so I want to I wanna answer some questions. Before I answer those questions, I want to tell you guys a story that I think is really interesting, that that dates back to the 1800s. And in 1803, Thomas Jefferson, the president, uh, well, he, he was president at that time. Obviously, he did a lot of things before then, signed this incredible purchase for this young nation, the United States of America, called the Louisiana Purchase. Maybe you remember reading about this uh, in one of your history classes in school. And it was less than a year later that President Jefferson sent Meriwether Lewis along with a man named William Clark and this group called the Corpse of Discovery to go and explore this western area where they had just bought. Now, at the time, this North American continent was, there was part of it was owned by the United States, part of it was owned by Spain, some of it was, was uh, I almost said China, not China. Uh, some of it was uh, Great Britain, and some of it was uh, 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 France. And so all of these people were kind of in this power jockeying moment where there's all of this land and all these resources in this untapped area. And someone had to begin to really settle it and take uh, uh, lay claim for it. And the idea behind this expedition of why Lewis and Clark were sent was because Thomas Jefferson, along with every other world leader from the West at this point, believed that there was a waterway that was going to run from from the other side of the Mississippi, from west of the Mississippi, and this waterway was going to connect them from that side of the country, and it was going to flow all the way to the Pacific Ocean. And that whoever could find this this illustrious river, this this sort of northwest passage of uh, of the United States or this this continent at the time, whoever did this would have the power. They would kind of control everything. It would ensure prosperity for this young nation. And it's interesting because everyone in the known world at this time, had this assumption, had this belief that this waterway existed. And so Lewis and Clark assembled this team to canoe. They were river people. They assembled this team who knew how to take on things like mountains, but Appalachian Mountains. And they assembled this team of men who were rugged, who knew how to go through rivers and even tough rivers. And so as they uh, were on this two-year excursion They made it through this first part really great. And as they began to get out more towards what we know as Colorado today, they went up. There's there's, there's this journal entry that that Meriwether Lewis has 
where he talks about how they're going up this, this cliff area and their whole thought process is that as they reach the top of this cliff area that they would look and they would see that only so many miles away would finally be that body of water and that they would have easy sailing and it was going to be awesome. But as they reached the top of that, their hearts sank because what they found was not this mysterious waterway that everyone believed was there. It was not the same type of world that they had left behind like they had assumed. What they found were the Rocky Mountains. And it was at that moment that they realized that the world that they had came from was not going to be the world they were heading into. That what had worked and what had gotten to them at to that point was not what was going to take them forward if they really wanted to accomplish their mission. You see, they had to realize that they were not going to be able to canoe mountains. That they weren't going to be able to go forward in the same way they came. You know, the truth is, in our country, in our world, in our culture today, you could maybe say that our story is very similar to the story of Lewis and Clark. For hundreds of years, church, Christianity, faith, has been able to operate in a pretty uh, safe, sort of expected, normal way. If you get a good worship team, get an interesting preacher, maybe a couple programs here or there, build a nice building in a nice neighborhood, and bam, people are going to come to that church, people are going to experience Jesus, and life is going to be great. And for years, that has been the assumption of what will work. There was this assumption, too, that people, young people, oftentimes, even if they grew up in church, that they would leave the church for a little while, but when they had children, they would come back. You know, the truth is, the world that many of us grew up in is not the world that we're going into. The world that we grew up in is not going to be the world that our children and our grandchildren live in. And the truth is, we could sit back and we could just be so mad about that. We could sit back and kick rocks or we could sit back and say, I want to go backwards. But the truth is, we can't go backwards. We can't go back to the good old days. There's not something like that. All we can do is continue to move forward. All we can do is decide Is it worth it for the next generation? Is it worth it for the church? Is it worth it following Jesus to drop some of our canoes and begin to learn how to climb mountains? It wasn't that long ago that our church had to begin to wrestle with some of these questions. It was about three years ago that we went into a season of transition at our church, a pastoral transition. And in the midst of this, there were already some moving pieces that that were going along. There was the fact that whether we'd really want to admit it or not, we as a church had began to hit what is commonly referred to as a plateau. You see, churches have a life cycle. And what happens is, is if a church doesn't launch a new life cycle, guess what happens? It dies. It's not a fun thing to say, but it's a reality. And so we, in some ways, found our own Rocky Mountains. As we were in a season of being plateaued, as we were in a season of having to cut our budget by over $100,000, as we were in a season of a lot of staffing turnover, 
in a lot of ways, just sort of a lack of direction. You see, what had happened was we were hoping in some ways that what had always worked was going to work, and we had to realize that we no longer were finding rivers. We were starting to climb mountains. And so we began something that we called Next. And Next was this this whole idea uh, of trying to seek what God had next for us as a church. Trying to just be, 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 be open and available to say, God, we don't know every detail of what you have next in the life of our church, but we trust you. We know you are faithful, that you've been faithful in the past, you're faithful in the present, and you will be more than faithful in the future. And we want to lean into whatever you have next for us. And one of the things that we began to realize as we prayed about this and leaned into this was one of the things that we had to do was to begin to try to become a next generational church. That we, we couldn't just hope that young people, that young families, that children would come to church. We couldn't just look at some of the staggering statistics of people leaving church or once they leave their home not following through with their faith. We couldn't just sit back and say, man, that's so terrible, and not begin to just form action plans and not begin to just address some of those things. In the book of Judges, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 10, Judges is in the Old Testament, and, and, and it tells some of the story of uh, God and his relationship with his people early on. And, and he's telling this story of, uh, of how God had been faithful. This is the same God who, who, who took these people who were enslaved in Egypt, and he led them out. He parted the way. I mean, we're talking about only a few generations removed from these things, leading them into a promised land. This are a people who have seen God time and time again faithfully show up. And yet in the book of Judges, we, we read this. It says that after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. I remember the first time that I read this leading up to uh, our, our next initiative. And I remember thinking this is something that we are living with in our world today. That good, bad, or indifferent, there is generations right now growing up who do not know the Lord and do not know the mighty things that he's done. And there's a million different reasons why we could could could, could address how that is. It could be uh, families not really living it out at home. It could be the lack of uh, discipleship and, and only looking for programs rather than relationships. We could talk just about a, a culture that is no longer having Christianity at sort of the power center of popular opinion. There's all sorts of things, and all of them are important to address, but the reality is, no matter what, as a church, we have to decide, do we want this to be our story? Do we want there to be generations to come after us who grow up and they don't know God? They don't know who Jesus is, they don't know about his love, his mercy, and they don't know about the mighty things that he has done. And part of next is we began to wrestle with and decide that we didn't want that to be our story. Now, when you read statistics, there's so many different statistics, but in one of the latest books I read, they talked about how uh, as of late, 64% of adults who at one time regularly attended church, this is between 18 and 30 years old, at some point in their life have dropped off from church at one time or another. And there's a large number who never return. Like I said before, there was this popular assumption that used to just always hold true that after, you know, you run off, kind of sow, sow your wild oats, whatever that means. I just know what to say. Uh, eventually you come back when you have kids because you want your kids to have this, you know, good Christian moral compass. I don't really want to live it myself, but I want my kids to make sure they do. Um, that's not the same anymore. 
People aren't seeking those things out. There's a rise right now, whether you know it or not, that uh, statisticians and, and, and researchers talk about how there's the rise of what is referred to as the nuns. Not like the nuns, like the ladies who wear black and maybe had rulers and things like that, but the rise of those who, who proclaim that they have zero religious affiliation. You see, we live in this sort of world where, where, where truth is, is on attack, in my opinion. Where, 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 where no matter what people live in, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they are uh, a Buddhist, maybe they're a Muslim, maybe they are an atheist, but there's so many people now who would just sort of say, like, whatever is truth for you is great. Like, you do you. And with this rise of the nuns, we're realizing, get this, this is mind-boggling to me. Most people are predicting that very soon the nuns, those who proclaim no religious affiliation, who have no sort of background like that, will be the largest segment of sort of a faith group, if you could call it that, in the United States. It's wild. And there's, again, so many reasons why. But we're beginning to realize that our children who grow up in church are walking away. And there's reasons. But we're also realizing that there's generations, huge amounts of people who are growing up who honestly don't ever get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when some people say, oh my gosh, what a terrible world we live in, there's part of me that says, what an opportunity we have. What an opportunity that we have to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. What an opportunity we have up to raise the next generation to not just survive in this sort of climate, but possibly thrive. Because guess what? Time and time again, when you study history and you study revivals, you study times where, where, where the gospel has come and just exploded, oftentimes it's in places where there isn't a dominant form of truth. It's oftentimes come into a place where people are just feeling anxious, which I don't know about y'all, but you turn on the news, you look on social media, you just have any conversations with people. People are so stressed out. People are feeling so overwhelmed. And again, there's so many reasons why, but I don't know about you, but when you can proclaim the goodness of a God who came here to give peace, to give hope, to give wholeness, to give identity, man, that's good news. That could take off. But the the question becomes is, are we going to be strategic? Are we going to be thinking through how can we engage the culture? How can we engage and love our neighbors? And in particular, how can we seek out and invest in the next generation and their families? And the reason why we've done this, again, isn't because we don't value all generations. I love the fact that we have a church that is multi-generational. Every generation brings so much value and depth in following Jesus in, in, in what the church should look like, and I am so appreciative of that. But as many people would say, one of my, one of my favorite people, Steve Byes, who uh, leads our uh, senior adult ministry here, he says that, 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 that he, for many years, has been praying And his small group has been praying that this church would be filled with young people, that there would be young families, that there'd be children running around. And he loves the fact that he doesn't know half of you because it means that we're growing. It means that there's good things happening. But so what what was some of the why behind next? And then I'll share some of the what. Some of the why behind next was just this. We wanted the next generation to know that, that we are with them and are for them so that they would know that Jesus is with them and for them. We oftentimes see, if you wanted to kind of bottled up uh, Scripture and understand who God is, we see that constantly throughout Scripture that God is a God of love. That he's trying to restore relationship with us. And, and, and half the way that he does that is just by showing us 
presence. The most important presence that we obviously experience is that of Jesus Christ being sent here to pay the ultimate debt that we never could, to make way for new life. And we still experience today as followers of Jesus through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that when, when we receive Christ as our Savior, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from dead, lives inside of you and lives inside of me. But we, we've realized that we can't just assume. No longer is there the days of sort of the field of dreams approach. We're like, build it and they will come. There's this reality that, 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 that we have to begin to get into our community. We have to begin to develop relationships with people and draw them in. And I'm going to tell you one of the ways we've kind of strategically been doing that here. Uh, but, but one of the realities is uh, we have to make sure that when people walk in the door, that they realize that we had planned for them to be there. Have you ever been invited to someone's house and gotten there and realized that they had no plans for you to actually be there? I have. It's incredibly awkward. I always tell the story of there's this great older lady um, from our church that I grew up in named Hazel Midlam, and she meant so well. And back in the day during October, there'd be Pastor Appreciation Month, and she'd invite my family and I over to the house. My dad is a pastor. And uh, even in October, before it was really actually cold outside, her house would be like 120 degrees, I swear. And uh, every single time, she would always make like just not a very kid-friendly meal, um, and she would always tell me and my older brothers that she planned for us. She had the, the latest uh, Gaither tape for us to go watch in the front room, which uh, if you didn't grow up in church and you don't know who the Gaithers is, they're great, but, like, you're welcome, uh, that you didn't have to experience watching those. And she meant well, but here's, here's what I always felt whenever I went over to Hazel Midlam's house. She just didn't get it. She didn't mean, she didn't mean to like be mean or non-welcoming, but it was sort of almost this idea of what's like, she said like she wanted us there, but she just didn't get like what we were really seeking. And you know, oftentimes I've wondered that if churches do that, we, we say we want young people, but we got nothing for them. We say that like, you're welcome here, but by the way, like, please be quiet. Uh, don't spill things. Don't rip things. And, and, and so we've, we've tried to take steps to make sure that when people would walk in, of all generations, but especially those who, are, who, who have young children and stuff like that, they would know that we've planned for them, that they're welcomed here. And not just like, hey, we want you here, but not really. But for real, we want them here. <laughs> this is another funny story. One time, uh, Hunter and I, uh, my wife, we were uh, kind of house hunting before we first bought our house. And we, were, we had just found out we were pregnant at the time, too. And uh, which, what a fun, life-changing thing. This is also, I think, while, <laughs> while this pastoral transition was going on. Just lots of fun change. And we saw a house uh, that we were kind of interested in maybe buying. And uh, we didn't even say we were going to buy it yet. But there's this couple sitting next next door. And they're like, that's a great house. You should buy it. It's great. There's no kids here. It's so quiet. We love it. And we're just like, oh, goodness. I guess we're not going to buy this house because those neighbors would not like us. But again, this whole idea of why for next is that we, we wanted to be a church that's helping empower the next generation not to survive but to thrive. There's a book that is coming out soon that I got an advanced copy to read about called Faith uh, for Exiles. And in the Barna Group, which is this kind of Christian research um, uh, uh, firm that, that does lots of uh, things on uh, looking at the church and culture and, and how all these things collide through uh, taking uh, different studies and polls. And, and they've written this book with this idea of, of this reality that children growing up today 
are in a lot of ways growing up in a Babylon. In, in, in Babylon, in the Old Testament, oftentimes is, is sort of this, it's this physical place, but it's also this representation of just a, a culture that is very kind of uh, hostile towards God, hostile towards the ways of God. And, 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 and we know this story. Maybe you've heard of Daniel in the lion's den. And, and Daniel grew up in this time. And Daniel, though, he didn't just survive in Babylon, but he thrived. And, and what they've been trying to do with this book called Faith for Exiles is, is to share, and I'm going to share in a sermon series coming up, uh, the, these five practical ways to raise up a next generation to be able to live out their faith. And one of the things they talk about, though, is this idea of creating resilient disciples. And, and, and there's two things with that. One is uh, a disciple means you have to be a follower of Jesus, not just like you think Jesus is cool, like hashtag he's awesome, but like you've given your heart to him, you're trying to follow him, his will, and his ways. But resilience, resiliency, you know, is this whole idea of, of building up some toughness, right? Of knowing the fact that even though there's opposition that is ahead, that we can do this. It's, it's, it's resilience like when, when you get to the top of a mountain and you think you're going to find a river and you find bigger mountains. And we've realized that as a church, we want to be invested in the life of, of the next generation to make sure that not only are they disciples, but they're resilient disciples. That not only are they not going to hopefully walk away from their faith, that they're also not going to go off and just sort of make their own little place. But we are going to engage the culture. We are going to be in the world, but not of the world. You see, because the truth is, is that if, if we deeply and desperately hope to accomplish the Great Commission of going into the world and, and, and creating uh, disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything we've commanded, guess what? That, in, that means that they have to go into this world. Even though the world can look scary, we can't just kind of take our kids and kind of be mother hen and just hold them forever. We can't sit on them like we're trying to warm their egg when they're 15. So we have to look for ways to prepare them, not just protect them. And so here's some of the what's of next. There were four components of next. You're going to see them up on the screen. And for some of you, you're going to be like, oh, gosh, church is talking about money. Uh, but we wanted to be transparent about these things. So uh, these are what we did. We, uh, our building here is uh, about 11 years old now. And uh, so we still have a mortgage. So here's what's pretty cool about the faithfulness of God. Uh, when they built this building, it was, a, about a, it was an over a $3 million project. What's amazing is that in less than 10 years, uh, we've actually, we actually got under a million dollars, which is huge because, uh, one, that's just a huge feat. Two, it meant that uh, about a year ago when we were able to refinance our mortgage and be able to get a lower payment, uh, it meant the fact that we were able to secure some better rates and things like that. And so what's amazing is the number that you see there was projected based off what our um, payment was, and our payment is lower now. Here's what's really cool that I get excited about. We're not changing that number, but what it means is that we may not have to use some of that money just to pay our normal payment, but we could make some larger lump sums. Because um, here's the thing, debt is a pain, Right. I mean, all of us probably could say if we have debt in our lives, what we would do. My wife and I dream in like a terrible way. If we didn't have our student loans to pay each month, what we could do. Fun stuff, things for our children, things for our neighbors, ways to be generous. And so one of the things that we realized is that as we lean into this next season of ministry for our church, we knew that one thing regardless we needed to do was take care of trying to eliminate um, slowly but surely uh, our existing mortgage on this building because... 
We know that God has bigger plans for us, and the sooner that our mortgage can be eliminated, the sooner that we can use the dollars that we're currently putting towards that to do things that are going to bless our neighbors in our community. And so we're really excited about that. We have this children's building that we now, uh, we, we call it the park. So if you ever hear anyone around here talk about the park, unless they're talking about an actual park somewhere else, uh, we call it the park. And what's cool is parts of it are already uh, finished. Uh, if you didn't know that, kids already get to hang out in there, um, but the plan isn't over yet. Also, if you have not been back there yet, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give a little tour uh, once kids get picked up. So after service, instead of being in the cafe uh, today, I'm actually going to hang out down here. And about five minutes after service is done, if you've never been back to the park and would like to see it, uh, I'm going to take a little uh, tour guide back there for some of you guys to see it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, but this project came originally out of a really incredible generous, generous donation from someone to, to do a special children's project. And, and the board uh, at the time had uh, came up with this idea of we live in Indiana. Uh, we could build a park that's actually outside, but it wouldn't get used for half the year. And so the idea became, what if we built a building that would show to our community that we've made a place for children, uh, would be a hub where uh, birthday parties, things like that could happen, uh, where different outreach events like moms groups and uh, different things like that could uh, meet, and uh, we're going to do that. And so we, we, we budgeted $100,000 because, uh, it, can we go to the next slide real quick so they can see the picture of what it will look like? So the idea is this is what the uh, children's building uh, the inside will eventually look like, sort of this indoor playground. Now, here's what we know. Uh, we don't believe that automatically having a children's, like, playground building thing is going to be something that's like, kids are going to go down the slide and give his heart to Jesus just because of that. That's not going to happen. We recognize that. But this is a tool that we believe that we could leverage. One of the reasons why we did this wasn't just because this would be fun, although it really will be, I won't lie. Um, but it was this idea, again, of showing the community that we love them. It was also something that we saw was the fact that there wasn't really anything like this currently in our community. And so we're not trying to just, like, replicate something that someone else is already doing, but we saw sort of a niche, a need. Uh, if we can go back to the, the totals one more time again, I thank you. Um, but we realized that we needed to do this. Now, let me just tell you a little about the children's building thing. We are still, uh, uh, I'm going to tell you more in the coming uh, Sundays about how close we are to being able, being able to pull the trigger on that. Um, that is one of those things that you can't just make, like, you know, five easy payments of $9.95 uh, to be able to do. So that's one of the reasons why we've had to be saving up for it. But I also just want you to know um, that as a, as a board, as a staff, we have been exploring other options for it to see if there's a more cost-effective way, if there's a different group. And so we're still in the process of exploring some of those, um, but we just want you to know that we haven't just been sitting on our hands being like, do, 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 do. I know a lot of people are asking about those. One thing that's cool is there is a sidewalk now. So when people rent that facility, um, one really cool thing is that uh, we can let someone just use that building, not the whole church. There has been numerous times where someone would rent one room in the church, and uh, I would come into here uh, on Sunday morning, and right above the projector, I would find, like, a bunch of, like, rogue balloons that had broken away. And so it's kind of nice that sometimes what would happen, and we love having people here, but someone would be in this room, but a bunch of other rooms would be kind of destroyed. And that's okay. Um, but this way, it's just one area of the church for people to rent, and there can be things going on here as well. But again, this is a tool to leverage. This isn't an end-all, be-all thing. We don't think that automatically... Um, this means that people are just going to come race in here to get saved because we have this cool thing. We believe, though, that it could be something that if someone visits and their kid loves it enough, 
They may be running in on a Sunday morning and jumping up and down on mom and dad's bed to say, I want to go back to that church. And I'm okay with that. I, you know, I'll use just about anything short of sin to reach people uh, for Jesus. Third uh, was staff development. We believe that as we we're leaning into this next season of ministry, uh, that it was going to require new and, and, and greater staffing. Uh, next week, you're going to get to hear from our new um, worship slash student pastor, uh, Jenna Vance. And I'm, so I'm not going to talk too much about that. But this was on the idea of we didn't know exactly what the staffing would be yet. We didn't know if it would be new full-time staffing. We didn't know if it would be an increase in part-time staffing. But we believe that uh, if we want to continue uh, to grow, we want to continue to uh, expand sort of our reach of loving both the next generation and just people in general, that we have to make plans and preparations for it. And so that was that. And then finally, Bridges Outreach is one of our uh, ministry partners in the community and we decided that a part of this was we wanted uh, the opportunity to just raise a gift of generosity towards uh, what we already give them uh, to give to Bridges, for them to use whatever they want to use it for. If you don't know about Bridges Outreach, they're an amazing organization that partners, especially with the schools here uh, in uh, Howard County, and uh, they help a lot of students who are at risk. Uh, one thing, in fact, let me put a plug in here for you guys. Uh, if you have like a half-hour lunch break or if or if you're retired, or if you work from home, or something like that. Um, one thing that you can do to partner with Bridges is they are always seeking mentors for uh, elementary school-age kids. It's super easy. They even let me do it before, so you will get to be able to do it. Um, but check it out. But so our, our, our total was uh, $340,000 over a three-year period. Now, we, we kicked this off uh, two falls ago, but technically the time period of how it actually uh, ran uh, will be on year number two starting in um, January. Now, you guys want to celebrate something with me real quick? So this has been really cool, uh, and people have been so generous and so good, and I'm so excited to share some stories of generosity in some coming weeks. Uh, but get this. We're not even technically halfway through our kind of initiative yet, uh, but these are the numbers so far. We so far have received to date uh, for next uh, $176,017. That is actually, we're, we're actually ahead of track right now of where we're at, which this is a time where if you want to clap, you clap. That's really good. And, and might I say, this, this, this whole idea of this wasn't just like, hey, we're going to like do this offering thing, but this whole idea of next was that this would be above and beyond what a normal gift to the church, a tithe and offering would be. And so this, this represents people uh, really sacrificing. This represents people um, believing in something and, and really having some skin in the game and being all in. And oftentimes being all in for people that they may never meet, people they may never know. And, uh, man, I'm just so thankful. So if, if you've been a part of Next, let me just say on behalf of uh, myself and just sort of the church leadership, thank you so much for your ongoing generosity. It has meant the world. And I'm excited to share, again, some more uh, details coming up about uh, where we're at and some of these moving pieces of what's going to happen. Um, but, man, I'm just blown away by God's goodness. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say there hadn't been times during some of this process where uh, I, I think I have some extra gray hairs. Um, I might have gotten shingles because of uh, some of these things. Uh, but God's just so good, isn't he? So why, why do we continue to do these things? Again, one of, one of the reasons is while we don't believe in the field of dreams, build it and they will come approach, here's one thing, one aspect of how Next has worked that has been incredible is that uh, through next, uh, kind of coinciding with this, is obviously we launched our preschool. And every year it has grown. 
Uh, get this, uh, and, and I'm going to share some better statistics coming up, but I, I know as of, uh, as of about now, uh, in a three-year period as a preschool, we've seen about 30 families uh, engage and become a part of our church family in that time. That's pretty good. I'm not, I'm not, great, at, not great at math, but that would put 10 families a year at least, which is pretty good. Um, we've seen five people uh, who have gotten baptized, who, who have surrendered their life to Jesus, said, uh, I'm a follower, across the line, wanted people to know that, uh, directly related because of the preschool, which is pretty uh, amazing. Here's what's pretty cool. I was talking to uh, Miss Megan this morning, who leads our uh, children's ministry in our preschool. Uh, get this, this next year, uh, we, so we started three years ago with a preschool of, I think when it was all said and done, 24 students. This next year, we will have uh, 112 which is absolutely bonkers to me and so cool. Um, why I'm so excited about that is this, though. Uh, about 75% of the families don't have a church background, don't have a church home. I mean, just think of that opportunity. And, 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 and so here's what we've realized and what I do believe going forward uh, in, in sort of this next time of, of ministry, not only for our church, but churches in general, is get this. No longer do you build a church or something like that and people are going to be coming and looking for you. There'll be some, but get, get this. Like, here's what I've kind of came to. Um, people who aren't already engaged in church aren't looking for a church. There's not. Like, they're not sitting. they're not sitting on Sunday morning and waking up and saying, like, Man, I think I really need to go to church. They're not. It's not, it's not really in their frame of mind likely for, for a lot of people. And so, but what we have realized is that there are things that are a need in our community that parents are looking for. And what's interesting is obviously like we unashamedly are a Christian preschool. We proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ and his lordship at our preschool. Uh, we, we, we have very kind of traditional, um, normal Christian beliefs that we teach there and all that. But what's crazy is there are people who would probably fit in the nun category, the de-churched category. We've even had some people who, who are like very openly, outwardly atheists. And yet they want their children to come to this school because they realize that there's a level of care and excellence in here. And so what we've realized is that the preschool has become an amazing thing for us to leverage for the kingdom of God. That we are seeing people come here and eventually engaging in our church because there's ongoing relationships that have been built over years where there's a level of trust, a level of interest, and it's amazing. And so that's one of those things that I just celebrate with, this idea that as we lean into next, we've been able to leverage something in an amazing way. I think about as Pastor Jenna is going to be coming on staff, one of the things that um, our, our student ministry hasn't had in a while is just someone who doesn't have another job, who has the time to really invest not only in the students, but also in leaders who can lead students. And we believe that one of the ways that we're going to create resilient disciples is by having someone who is going to be a disciple maker. And I'm excited for you guys to hear some of uh, Jenna's vision for uh, the student ministry. I think it's going to be really cool. Here's kind of the last sort of reason, the why behind uh, next. At that time, we also sort of pivoted and, and, and we, we launched a new uh, sort of mission uh, statement, a, a mission purpose uh, during this time. And, and, and what it is, if you've never heard this at our church, but here's, here's, here's kind of our goal as a church is to love people and help lead them to new life in Christ. To love people and help lead them to new life in Christ. The reason why the order is really important is that we believe that we always lead with love. That if God is love, that that's what we should be too. And that we lead by loving our neighbors just right where they are. But our hope, our goal isn't to leave them there because we love them too much. 
that our hope and our goal is that, that out of that expression of love, whether it's through a preschool, through Vacation Bible School, through partnering with a, with a ministry partner like Bridges Outreach, is that that love would lead someone to ask questions and give us an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ with them. And our hope and our goal is that people would experience new life in Christ because we know what it's like to experience life before Christ, right? It's not fun. You feel very anxious. You're constantly looking for an identity. And so we believe so much that we should do that. And a small reflection of that that I like to say is just this, is that loved people love people. Loved people love people. If you've experienced the love of Jesus, you are loved. Truth is, you're you're loved even if you haven't accepted it. But we believe that if we are loved people, that we need to love people. That the only way that people are probably going to experience the love of Jesus is going to be from someone who has already experienced it. And so we as a church want to embody that. One of my favorite verses comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and it just says this, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love that. You know what? A building isn't going to tell people that they're loved. It can reflect some of that. A staff person, there's aspects of that that can show some of their love. But the reality is it's our relational equity that we have. You know what the greatest tool that we have, other than obviously the Holy Spirit in our church to reach people for Christ? It's you. It's the relationships that you already have in your sphere of influence. You have so much opportunity as a loved person to love people and eventually help them lead, lead them to new life in Christ. In Romans chapter 15, Paul said this. He's, he's talking about this idea of how, 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 how Jesus would engage with people. And he'd engage with a world of people who are so much different than him, would engage with a world. And in, in, in think about Paul. He's writing to the Roman people. We think like the world that we live in is kind of messed up. Like read about ancient Rome. Like y'all, like we have it pretty good in comparison to them. But he says this uh, regarding Jesus. He, Jesus, didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles. But he waded right in and helped. I look on the troubles of the troubled is, is the way Scripture puts it. Even if it was written in the Scriptures long ago, you can be sure it was written for us. He's saying, hey, there's not stuff where we just sort of like get to uh, check out on, but that this is written for us. That God wants the combination of his steady constant calling and warm personal counsel in scripture to come to characterize us get this keeping us alert for whatever he will do next i was reading preparing for this message i'm like man god does a really cool thing where he just shows up in words right you know when i bottled up what next really has been all about while we've been trying to be intentional and focused on who we're trying to become as a church And we're trying to really be intentional about making sure we're reaching the next generation. Here's the reality. All that we've been trying to do is to try to see where God is heading next. I believe that our God is not a stagnant God. He's not a distant God, but he's a God who's constantly on the move. That he came into this world to seek and save the lost. And we should too. And so in many ways, our goal in next is just to be faithful and to follow God into what he has next. Last week I told you, though, about this reality, that it is just a phase for children, and so we don't miss it. That in this jar, 
there are 936 marbles, which represent 936 weeks that you typically have with a child from the time that they are born till the time that they graduate from high school. I definitely got some shade from some moms this week uh, that downloaded the app and were a little bit weepy. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But the reality is we have to be so intentional about the time that we have with them. Because we realize that as Moses tells us, that we need to number our days. We need to be intentional. The truth is the next is only what is promised by God. We don't know what we have. So our hope, our prayer is that we would decide to just be faithful no matter what. I'm not going to drop these again like last week. Dump them. But we have to be reminded that we have to make every moment count. Because here's something that I just see, and this is just me. I, I do fear that we've spent way too much time, energy, and money on making sure, in particular, that our children will make that certain team, or they'll get that solo, or they will, they will have the lead in that dance. We spent so much time making sure that our kids eventually will get into that school or that they will will be popular or they will be cool or they will be pain-free. And oftentimes we've neglected making sure that we're raising them in a way that is going to prepare them for the world that not that they we think they will go into, but the world that they are going to go into. I worry oftentimes that we have been too focused on not showing them a God who is with them even when they're unfaithful, that he's faithful in their failures, that he is present in their pain, and that he loves them not for the things that they do, but for whose they are, and they are his children. They are his sons and daughters. And so, my friends, this is what I'm going to be asking you to prayerfully be thinking about. Two things. The first thing is this. Would you be maybe can carefully consider this idea of joining us in this journey of next? In a couple of weeks, I'm going to ask people who maybe never have made a commitment to next to think about making a commitment to next. And if you have more questions about it, I would love to try to answer those questions for you. But the other thing is, I want all of us to think about where are we in our life right now? And what's maybe the next that God is calling us to lean into? Maybe it's an intentional relationship with a neighbor or a coworker. Maybe it's to take more serious uh, our role as a parent or a grandparent. Whatever it may be, would we faithfully do that? And while we do that, will we look back on the faithfulness of God and allow that faithfulness to push us into the future? Friends, it can be so easy to become overwhelmed, discouraged, and down about the future. But here's what I've realized. When I look back at the faithfulness of God, when I look back at even in the moments where it seemed like everything was going to fall apart, when I look back in the moments where I just royally failed, I'm always reminded how God is always faithful, that he's never left me, he's never forsaken me. And I think kids, I think all of us need to know that. All of us need to know that there is a God who is with us and who is for us. There's a God who never leaves our side, that never once has he ever walked away from us, that never once have we really had to face this world alone. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and we're going to sing one more song. And my hope and prayer is that as we sing this song, that maybe you would just have a a posture of a heart that is just open to whatever God may want to be saying to you this morning.
Maybe he wants to invite you into a journey of generosity. Maybe he wants to invite you into uh, the, the opportunity just to follow him. Some of us this morning, maybe, maybe we don't know Jesus, and maybe this morning could be our moment. Uh, whatever it is, would our hearts and our ears be open to what God wants to say to us? Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you so much for who you are. And God, I thank you just for the fact that, God, you have constantly been trying to take us to the next place. God, you're constantly moving us from one place to another. God, you love us so much right where we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. God, I I thank you for the fact that, God, this church, even when we've gone through seasons that have been difficult, that, God, you have continued to be faithful, that, God, you've continued to allow us to be a place where lives are being transformed in your name, that you keep allowing us to be a place where it's okay not to have it all together and where you don't have to pretend to either. You've given us the opportunity to be a place that is invested in the lives of the next generation. God, I pray that we continue to be faithfully that type of church. God, I pray this morning that maybe you're, you're trying to wrestle with some of our hearts. God, maybe some of us, God, are distant from you. Maybe we've never had a relationship with you or maybe we've walked away. God, I pray this morning that, 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 that those people would know that, God, you've never left them. You've never forsaken them, that you are a good father who has constantly been seeking them and just waiting for them to turn around and embrace you, to embrace that peace, to embrace that joy, embrace that hope, and experience that transformed new life, to be a new creation. God, I pray that as we sing this song, God, we would be reminded of your faithfulness, and God, would that faithfulness propel us to be faithful in the future. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.